I V M. Hi, I'm Utsav, a behavior researcher by training and a slow traveler by passion. Postcards from Nowhere is a travel podcast where I condense a decade of travel experiences and explore not just the where but also the why and how to travel. My stories emerge from slow traveling the less explored parts of the world: Bosnia and Herzegovina, Armenia, Uzbekistan, and even China. At the end of each story, I give practical tips and new ideas about how to travel better. This week, we travel from Edinburgh to Stalinitz, Russia, and then finally to Bangalore to uncover the story of an empty chair and the origin story of Ravidli. 1939, Edinburgh. The seventh International Congress of Genetics was being held, but it was not just another scientific conference. It was held after a gap of four years, and the most discussed subject had nothing to do with genetics. Everyone was discussing an empty chair, the chair that was supposed to seat the president of the conference. Four years later, on 26 January 1943, the president was reportedly suffering from lung inflammation, dystrophy, and edema, as well as general weakness. He was reportedly thrown into a pit of lime. and he succumbed to his symptoms but why was the president of an international conference on genetics being thrown into a pit of lime because he was in a prison camp in saratov in the western ussr serving his 20 year imprisonment for foreign espionage and sabotage later analysis of events indicated he died of starvation the president's father had grown up in a poor village afflicted by frequent crop failures and the president too had seen his share of food rationing as a child dying of starvation seemed like cruel irony but what was really cruel about his starvation death was the mission to which he dedicated all his life getting the world rid of hunger he is better known as nikolai ivanovich vavilov between 1923 and 1940 vavilov and his colleagues carried out some 180 collection missions 140 of them within soviet territories They gathered plants of economic importance, nearly 18,000 vegetables, 12,650 fruits, over 23,000 legumes, and 10,000 varieties of just one crop. It was the same crop which the leader of the world's largest democracy was seeking desperately. Closer home in India, the failure of the monsoons in 1965 and 66 led to a drought. The country had to increasingly rely on foreign food aid. This was on the back of the 1965 India-Pakistan war, where Prime Minister Lal Bahadur Shastri asked Indians to miss a meal on Mondays. After his sudden demise in Tashkent, Indira Gandhi was sworn in as Prime Minister. She inherited a difficult economy, and voices from within clamoring to refuse U.S. food aid. So much so that K. Kamraj, President of the Congress at that time, reportedly said that he would prefer to starve than receive wheat from the Americans. The food situation was turning graver by the day, with the Hindu reporting in January 1966 that 30 million people were facing dire distress. In a moment which was overshadowed by her disastrous handling of affairs later, she dialed Lyndon B. Johnson, the then President of the United States, as she requested him to release the shipment. Indira Gandhi reportedly clenched her fingers around the telephone receiver. When she hung up, she told her press adviser Sharda Prasad. I don't ever want us to have to beg for food again. But the issue wasn't just with receiving wheat shipments. 
the government was concerned about rising costs and if agricultural sector was robust enough to weather new technological changes. The shipment finally arrived in October 1965, sent by an American agronomist, Norman Borlaug, to his Indian counterpart, M.S. Swaminathan, and thus was sowed the seeds of the Green Revolution. No one was prepared for the amount of wheat harvested in 1968. The surplus was so huge that the government had to store it in schools and theatres. Trains ran out of wagons to fill with wheat. The term Green Revolution was coined in 1968 by William God, an administrator at the US Agency for International Development. Speaking at a conference, he talked about the Green Revolution spreading across Asia. The term stood in contrast to the Communist Red Revolutions in Asia at the time. The Green Revolution was betting on high-yielding crops. In 1966, when India imported 18,000 tons of seeds for Punjab and they arrived in Surat, Punjab was the one state that put all its hands on deck. It made state prison inhabitants spin bags for wheat dispersion. The state announced an early summer vacation to convert classrooms to granaries. Farmers in Punjab were more incentivized to grow these high-yielding crops due to higher minimum support price and free electricity guarantees. The first of these crops was the same one of which Vavilov collected over 10,000 varieties. Wheat, but what we consider a staple grain for northern and western India is only a function of our short time on earth and our shorter memory spans. Till wheat cultivation exploded in India, the primary food grain in northern and western India were millets, jowar, bajra and ragi. And even down south for example, ragi balls or ragi mudde is a staple in southern Karnataka whereas Northern Karnataka prefers a more flatbread-like preparation, known as ragi roti. The Green Revolution, however, brought down the share of millet in food crops from 40% to under 20%. And while we are seeing a resurgence now, with the year 2023 being coined the International Year of the Millets, we must remember that only in the last few decades did wheat replace ragi. The second crop which was incentivized in the Green Revolution was rice. World War II brought about a shortage of the rice crop. Japan had invaded Burma, which was then the largest producer. This led to a sharp rise in prices, which hit southern India especially hard. Rice was a staple food and a key component in making idlis. A prolific cook in Bangalore, who went by the name of Yagna Narayana Maya, started experimenting with various ingredients. He ground husked wheat and zeroed in on rava. He started his venture in 1951 and it was called Mawali Tiffin Rooms or MTR and it led to the creation of an idli with curd and cashews known as the Rava Idli or the Rava Idli as the Karadigas call it. Today Rava exists as both coastly ground, wheat or rice. The presence and impact of both wheat and Rava on Indian cuisine are unmissable. From Suji Halwa in the north to Rava Idlis in the south. Had Nikolai Ivanovich Vavilov seen the impact of wheat on India's food map he would have been a happy and content man seeing his life mission succeed. As we travel, even within India, within our home states, we must remember that all food has a history. And that is why food will always be a contested political space. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. You can listen to us on the IBM Podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IBM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. 
If you want to reach out to me, I am Utsav Memory on Twitter and YB Travel 42 on Instagram.